0: A lot of technical things to take care of here, aren't there? Goodness, I'll be exhausted before I start. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. I'm so, so happy to, well, sort of see you. But I have to say, your masks make you look beautiful. Now, here's how I mean that. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But seeing you all with these masks on, as annoying as it is, is really a testimony. You are showing love. You are doing what Jesus says, loving your neighbors as yourselves. Because together, as we do all of these annoying inconveniences that the CDC asks for, we are protecting one another. So I thank you for your cooperation. It's frustrating, but you look beautiful. My name is George. Most of you probably know that. George Renner, I used to live here and uh, be a part of this wonderful fellowship. And uh, so coming home is always really a wonderful, wonderful thing for me and for my wife, Linda, who's out there today. Um, We've been in Africa for the last 20-some years, so we haven't been around very much, but you've been so gracious and generous and you've helped us serve God in Africa. So thank you for that faithfulness and thank you for continuing even though, you know, these last, well, it's been a year now, hasn't it? It's been chaotic and some of us have had financial challenges, and, but you have been faithful in supporting your missionaries that includes us, it includes Dominic and Rejoice Oluru, and they send greetings to you. And um, I'm a bit mm, frustrated because I've been grounded here in North America and haven't been able to get to a beautiful Juba. <laughs> Anyhow, they, they, uh, they actually sent me a note this week, and they had a, a burglary, an attempted Robbery. Um, they're fine. And they were praising God and thanking him for his protection. But um, there was a pickup truck of young men that tried to break into their house, which if you could see the house, you'd know these guys didn't try that hard because that house would be easy to break into. But Dominic said they took some stuff from the yard. It'd be like, you know, they broke into your backyard shed and uh, took your riding lawnmower. Except for Dominic, it was a hoe. But uh, we're going to try to raise some money to put up a fence. That's actually what Dominic asked for. So we'll see if we can help him in that way very quickly. Uh, Juba, the capital of South Sudan, is just, it's anarchy. So there's no way you call 911 in a place like that. Greetings also from uh, Nairobi. I was in touch with... uh, my pastor partner there, Stanlas Dambuki, this week. And the Kenya government has really come down uh, on, uh, in terms of controls on the pandemic. So they're not allowing people to travel from one town to the next. There's an overnight curfew, and churches can't meet. So it's very difficult for uh, pastors there although they do have their mobile phones. So a lot of pastoring is going on over mobile phones in uh, various parts of Africa. I'm also uh, teaching a class right now in Cairo, Egypt, which is really cool. Except I'm really mad that I can't go, but someday. But uh, several of those students in the uh, Cairo class have contracted covid uh, some have been very ill, so please pray for brothers and sisters in Africa as this pandemic finally seems to be maybe getting its grip on that part of the world. Uh, in Cairo today, by the way, this is the beginning of uh, Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday, so if you know any uh, people who worship in the Eastern tradition, like uh, you know our friends on the other side of the highway in the... Uh, In the Greek, uh, a beautiful gold dome over there. They're just about to do Easter. So if any of your neighbors are in that congregation, wish them a happy Easter. Tell them the Lord is risen indeed. So, Pastor Sean suggested that we take a break from Exodus. One, because I'm here. And two, because it seemed right to take a few weeks to consider some of the Psalms of the Bible. So I want to do that today, and we want to talk about Psalm 62. And I bet that's what that says up there. So, let's talk about getting some rest. Because Psalm 62, in many translations, begins by saying, My soul finds rest in God alone. And I want us to just probe that statement. We'll look at the whole psalm, but I want us to think and perhaps talk practically about how it is that we can rest. There was, a, there was an article just Friday in the Washington Post, of all things, Friday the 23rd, the, head, uh, the title of the article was, Everyone is Tired, like that's news We need to give ourselves an actual break. I didn't read the article. I was intrigued by the title and that it would feature prominently in a national newspaper. But let me try to summarize what I want to say to you um, in the next half hour. What does God's word say to us today? The spirit-inspired writer of Psalm 62 declares the only source for deep, real, I guess I call it, it is well with my soul, rest is God alone. We must cultivate a habit pattern in our lives in which we deliberately focus our entire selves On God's personal presence. And wait in silence for him. Okay, you can go back to whatever else you're going to do during the next half hour. But that's what I wanted to say. That's why I drove all this way. Well, this is not news. We're a society that really, 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 really needs rest. Again, deep real. It is well with my soul rest. Now there's on the screen, you know, a bunch of reasons why we need rest. Be fun to talk about those. You're living them. You know all about that. So we don't need to talk about that. Next slide. We all seek escape and relief, don't we? I mean, we have to. We have to bring the temperature down. We have to catch our breaths, And we turn to some good things, some fun things. Not evil, not you anyway. But you know what? They're counterfeits. They can't do what only God can do. They lower our blood pressure for an afternoon, a day, a week. But they're not the rest we're looking for, the rest that Scripture is talking about. So let's not talk about those either. Let's talk about Psalm 62. Let's just listen to it. So this psalm said to be a psalm of David, according to the text. And it reads this way. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. You can read almost those same words down in verse 5. So that's what he's trying to say in his psalm, is that we find rest in God alone. Ruth read from a different translation, and it said, my soul waits in silence for God alone. That's not an error. That's not a mistranslation. Uh, The Hebrew word can sort of have either sense, and really they're not that much different, are they? Waiting in silence for God is the place of rest. So this translation I'm reading is the Really old NIV. They've done a few adaptations since the original. So let's work with the translation that says, My soul finds rest in God alone. The other thing you find a lot of in this psalm are these words about refuge and strength and being a rock. So there's a lot of security words in there. And often, what we need when we're restless, when we're anxious, when we're stressed out, is we need a sense of security. We're fearful, aren't we? We're anxious. Hence, the psalmist giving testimony to the fact that where he finds his security is not in comfort food. Although, I do love a good potato chip. finds his security in God, finds his relief. So this psalm is really littered with these security words. Verses 3 and 4, he testifies that he's really under assault. This is a man who is being besieged by people who are two-faced. You know, sometimes they're really nice to his face. They flatter him a bit. But behind his back, wow, the daggers are out. So verse uh, 3 reads, how long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence, which means you can sense David's kind of fragile here. It could go either way, could kind of collapse. He's reaching the end. They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. So, he's uh, besieged. Some of you know what that's like, don't you? Some of you have uh, people in your life that, for whatever reason, sometimes you know, sometimes you don't, but they're out to get you. So it would seem. So you feel like you're constantly under assault and, and the hypocrisy, might even be worse than the hostility, huh? So that's where David is. Now, in verse 5, he more or less repeats what he said in verses 1 and 2, but this time there's a slight difference in the verb form, so he's actually talking to himself. He sits himself down and has a little talk with himself. Do you do that? I do that. Sometimes that's really necessary. And so in verse five, he says, "Find rest, soul." See, same words as verse one, but now he's, he's trying to take it in deeply. Find rest in God alone. My hope comes from him. He's my rock, my salvation, my fortress. There's those strength words again, aren't they? I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depends on God. He's my mighty rock my refuge. I, you know, I debated t- developing this image of the rock, but, you know, I, I realized I'm back in New Hampshire, and our image, our state thing, you know, seal, emblem, used to be this magnificent rock formation up in the notch. Sorry, New Hampshire, but it fell down. So this is not that kind of rock. This is not old man in the mountain kind of rock, okay? This is Gibraltar. This is strength. This is unmovable. Verse 8, the psalm writer turns it to you and to me. So based on his experience of God, he says, you, all of you, friends, brothers, sisters, trust God at all times pour out your hearts to him. That's part of why there's rest in God. He's the one person to whom you can actually let it all hang out. There aren't many people we can do that with, but God is our refuge. Verses 9 and 10, he talks about two alternatives, alternative gods, if you will, alternative people or commodities that we might turn to. As God alternatives, he says. Uh, first of all, he talks about human beings, particularly people of status, who might turn to and think they'll cut me a break. Lowborn men are but a breath; they're oh. gone. But the highborn are a lie. If weighed on a balance, they're nothing. Together, they're only a breath. Well, that's not meant to minimize the dignity of human beings but it's meant to say as a source of security, as a long-term solution to our anxiety and fear, people are not going to do it. going to disappoint. He also, verse 10, talks about money, which a lot of people in our society certainly think that's going to be where I'll find some security. If I only can put away enough for retirement, then, <sighs> There'll be rest. (laughs) What a lie. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Of course, Jesus, our Lord himself, says exactly that. Don't set your heart on money because it's going to let you down. It's not wrong. It's not evil. It's just... Going to disappoint you. Verse 11, one thing God has spoken. Two things have I heard. Notice that. God has spoken, but in the second line, which is sort of the parallel to the first line, he says, I've heard. I think it's important that he said both things there because God is speaking. God is speaking right now. He's speaking to us. God is speaking when you got up this morning. God was speaking to you through the night. God is speaking to us. He's our Father. He wants to get through to us. But the second part is really where sometimes the problem lies. Two things I have heard, I don't, I don't hear. The vast majority of what God is trying to say. And the two things that finally crashed into David's consciousness are, you, oh God, are strong You, O God, are loving. Wow. Do we need to hear in the deepest sense those two truths. So there's our psalm for the day. And it's good. And it's true. And it holds out hope for us. There is an experience of rest. Even now. I mean, there's heavenly rest, of course. Bring it on, Lord. But this is now. This is in the midst of David being under assault. Now, I want to hammer home the God alone statement. There truly are no real alternatives to finding your rest in God, even though we try all that other stuff. And so... Uh, 50 reasons. Now you're stressed. Wouldn't that be a great sermon? Don't you wish you could hear it? 50 reasons why you should trust God. Ah! I get back to Africa or preach that. We're not going to talk about that today. Because you know that. You could give me 50 reasons. Why, God is trustworthy. Why, he is really ultimately the only one you can turn to. So, let's keep moving. God offers real rest. It is well with my soul kind of rest. And because you're here on Sunday morning in the midst of a pandemic, I believe in your heart at least, you're saying, Amen, I believe that. You wouldn't be here otherwise, right? The challenge becomes if we ask, but how do you do this? How do you tap into the experience of God that really, really brings your blood pressure down and lets you sleep at night? And you know what? A lot of Christians, we just don't know how to do this. Or we don't do what we know how to do. But in our society today, people don't look at many Christians as people of sort of rest, tranquility, peace. And so they're all excited about becoming Zen Buddhists and all that other stuff. And Americans, by the way, we make terrible Buddhists. We just, it's not in our gene pool to be Buddhists. But what makes me sad sometimes is they're not looking at us and saying, wow, I wish I could, I wish I could experience the kind of peacefulness and sort of stability and centeredness that I see in you and in other Christians I know. Some of us are missing it, aren't we? And maybe it's a how to problem. So let's take just the next few minutes and talk about how to. David says, my soul finds rest in God alone. How do we go about tapping into this? And I want to share sort of what was an aha moment for me. Years ago in ministry, this is a cool little thing that I've kept for a long time, it 's called the New England Journal of ministry doesn 't exist anymore, but there was this wonderful energy and and momentum and and you know borderline revival in New England in the late 80, the early eighties late seventies Wonderful things were happening because we were such a tiny minority back then that is people who actually believed the Word of God, and so we started reaching out to one another, and energy started to build back in the Uh, late 70s, early 80s, and it's just a wonderful time. It ended up with a Billy Graham crusade, a regional Billy Graham crusade. It was great fun. Anyhow, I could tell you stories about that for a long time, and a few of you real old-timers remember those days. But one of the things we did was produce this journal of ministry because we needed to share. Those of us who were struggling to serve Jesus in this barren ground of New England got together and shared resources. So I got this and read this article by a pastor in Massachusetts, and he said this. A third pathway to lead us into a deeper intimacy with God is the way of silence, making space for God. To know Jesus Christ more intimately, we must make time for silence. Be still. Know that I am God. Very often our devotional time is so filled with our agenda that we're never still enough to hear the Lord. We say, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. So we take with us three books, four magazines, turn on some Christian music. All these can be aids to intimacy with Christ, but we need to take time to put everything away. No books, no magazines, no music, just silence. As I first read this, I was terrified. Just you and God. In the silence, you will hear all kinds of things going on within you. You will sense your anger, your frustration, the millions of things left undone. You will recall all the people you ought to see, all the things you ought to be doing. It's almost impossible to keep silence, even for 20 minutes. The silence, we learn a lot about ourselves that we never knew in our busyness. this pastor writes, I invite you to consider taking at least a few minutes each day for silence. I offer no special method. Find your own language of silence, which will be born out of your longing just to love and be with the Lord. You might begin by saying, Lord, I give this time to you. I do not want anything from you. No great insights. I just want to give myself to you in love. I just want to be with you. It's enough that I am with you, giving you my undivided attention. If you wish to speak to me, I want to listen and respond in obedience. But it is enough just to be still And know in the very depths of my being that you are God. You are my shepherd. You, I have everything I need. Well, I read that in 1981. And boom! It was like an explosion in my soul. And I've tried in... Fits and starts very unfaithfully with lots of ups and downs to practice. Simply, I didn't join a monastery. Tried to give time to God to be silent. You remember that little song? We sing it a lot, probably around this time. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That's been floating around in my head the last week or two again. Like rediscovering some treasure from the past. But boy, am I glad that's floating around in my head. It really helps me be reminded of what God is saying. Okay, so that awakened me, got me going, sort of. Then I realized that this is a pattern that you see in Jesus. This isn't just some, you know, thing like maybe a holdover from Roman Catholic monastic communities. Jesus, if we study his life, we read the gospel, you see it is just punctuated with times where Jesus gets away. He goes to a very quiet desert place all by himself, particularly in times where there are crucial decisions or when there's been a particularly stressful season of ministry. He just needs to get away. And there's another great sermon that you're not going to hear today. So, what can we say practically about this? Because I said I would try to be practical. Um, first thing is, I, you know, I, I sense the resistance. Can't see your mouths, but uh, I know it's in me. It's like, this sounds great. You're a pastor. It's what you get paid for. You have no idea what my life is like. You have no idea the demands on me. I just don't think this is, this, this is just not for me. And I want to say I get it, although one of the things that rebuked me was to realize nobody on earth was ever busier than Jesus. <laughs> They're constantly throngs demanding that he serve them and heal them and whatever. So a place to start is to actually just use tiny interludes that are all through our day and just turn them into moments of silence. And there are lots of these moments, you know, when Microsoft Windows sends you an update. You have like 45 minutes of silence. While the little thing spins and it says, welcome, we're working on it. That's an, an, and you know what I, I've done for 25 years is just rage at Bill Gates. But you know what I've been doing recently since I started reading Psalm 62? I've been singing my little song. Be still and know that I am God. And windows can take as long as it wants to boot up. Because I'm zeroing in on the presence of God. He's been there. I don't have to invite him or call him or him. But my focus changes from fury and impatience. You know, and there are a lot of these, really. You're on hold. You call your insurance company to try to get some information. You better plan a half an hour there. Well, again, Mark Keith used to be so clenched and like, oh, these people. Now it's kind of cool to chill with God in these interludes that are all over the place. You stopped in traffic on Route 3. it still that bad. Again, instead of my blood pressure going up, I think I can train myself to bring it down by being still in the presence of God. Uh, when you're brewing the coffee, you know, you got two minutes, unless you have a Keurig, which, which are really terrible, terrible inventions. But if you're brewing coffee... Got a few minutes? Be in God's presence, and in your day is full of this. No matter who you are, how busy you are, our days are full. So that's a place to start. But then um, we need to build habits. We need to build a habit for silence, because my capacity to control my mind and bring it into focus on God is—it's it, like a, a muscle that's atrophied. Many of us have never used it. Some of us use it very infrequently. So it doesn't really work very well. And so you might think of this as like training for athletics. In fact, there is that language in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. Um, some of you know the translation, bodily exercises, exercise profits a little bit. But training in godliness Here's, I think on the screen is how uh, the message, Eugene Peterson translated that. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both for today and forever. You can count on this. So we're trying to fight spiritual flabbiness. We're trying to build a capacity to concentrate on the presence of God. And like I said, think of it like uh, athletic training. Here's, here's, a, here's, here's someone who's training uh, for a marathon. Well, actually running a marathon. See how happy I am? It's because of all my training, you know. I didn't start out that happy, and it sure didn't end up that happy. I mean, here I am toward the end of that race, and you'll notice that that one foot is just barely off the pavement and this guy looks really trashed. So that's the absence of training right there. But spiritually, how do you get to the place where with some degree of pleasure, 5Ks are pleasurable, aren't they, Tom? At least for you and Ruth, yeah. Anyhow, how do you get there? Slowly, little by little, training, habits. You build habits, don't you? You do it every day. You don't feel like it. You do it. I want to suggest to you that's how we begin to cultivate a heart that is silent in the presence of God. You find a time and a place. Reserve it. Have a special place in your house. You've got a room for everything. Well, some people do. You know, special room for this, special place for that, special this. Let's have a space where we go. And it doesn't have to be a cathedral, you know, just a corner. And everybody knows when you go there what you're doing. And a time. And let's write it down in our date books or on our uh, calendars. So it's a set-aside time. It's devoted just like you would if you were trying to train to run a marathon. Huh? and you don't, nobody messes with that, right? And you're going to be in god's presence and uh, you know, I will just alert you, you probably already know this, but the first weeks will be frustrating. you will You will just say, "I'm absolutely wasting time. I go there, I try to sit and be quiet, and whoo, my mind goes nuts, and I, I just' it's, it's not helping me. That's really right. And that's how the first weeks of athletic training feel also, don't they? But persist. Be faithful. Develop a discipline. Build that group of muscles in your soul that can concentrate on God. And slowly, over time, you'll find clarity comes and all the noise and chaos recedes. Become clearer so we can train ourselves to be in God's presence. I have one other bit of just particularly important information or suggestion or counsel, and that is um, I want to suggest, I'll go ahead a few slides there. Not that one, not that one, not that one, that one! Key to the spiritual life is getting a dog. I put that up just for Norman Sim, because this is Eric and he always used to end up on Norman Sim's deck because he was afraid he was going to get scolded if he came straight home. Now that's kind of facetious. But uh, Eric was my dog back when I was pastor here. And you know what? Eric just really was a huge help to my spiritual life. Because he had to be walked. There was no getting out of that. And we lived, you know, over in Hudson down near the big Musquash swamp area. So I would go down the end of the street with Eric and let him off the leash. Probably wasn't very smart, but... And he, he was a busy dog. He had a lot of things he had to take care of in that swamp. So I had a nice chunk of time. I had some sweet times with God because of Eric That might not work for you. And if you get the wrong dog, it's hopeless. I also want to say, and again, you know this, fill your mind with God's word. That's one way to cancel out the chaotic rubbish that just somehow gets smuggled into our brains over the course of a day. Renounce talk radio. That will never get you into God's presence. It will just make you furious. Instead, cultivate scripture. Work on Isaiah 40. Those who wait on the Lord, renew their strength. Rise up on wings like eagles. When you're starting into your period in God's presence, just say that to yourself 20 times, and you'll find some rest. I was going to share with you an idea that a pastor named Randy Hollerith uh, shared but time's gone so um he just urged that we have an imagination exercise and employ that facility that God has given us to go into the presence of Jesus he actually talked about taking all your junk to the foot of the cross and so whatever you do uh here's another idea by the way use your device on your wrist huh My grandson is like 11 and he has one of these things on his wrist and he can tell me his heartbeat at any moment of the day or his BMI and I had no idea what that was. I don't think I have one. But if you can get all that from your watch or from Alexa, you can say, Alexa, 1015, tell me to shut up and be with God. And Alexa will do that. So let's employ our technology, huh? Let's use it to help us build discipline. Of course, you know about uh, the importance of being in God's environment. So, getting out into nature—I think I got a nature slide up there somewhere. It's just, ah, oh, isn't that sweet? You not love God if you're looking at that. By the way, this Linda and I decided. Three weeks ago, it was Easter Sunday. We always have an Easter sunrise service. You can't have Easter without a sunrise service. So this was our private sunrise service. We went out on a neighbor's porch where we could look at this, and we brought our Easter music, and we blasted it out. The sun rose over the Penobscot Bay, and whew, buona Amifufuka! The Lord is risen. So, you're in New Hampshire. Enjoy this place that God has given us. Remember how many of the great hymns? Oh, Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. So plan it, do it, celebrate it, rejoice in us. Well, let me just remind you of the last statements. I commented on it a minute ago, but verse 11 in Psalm 62, One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard. And I noted that the, the psalm writer David says, I heard this. And I believe he's saying this, this got in, this penetrated, this went deep, not just, yeah, yeah, I hear you. But he heard it. And what could be more important? To hear in our hearts, the depths of our souls God, you're strong. God, you're loving. You're loving. A month ago, maybe six weeks, I don't know, Pastor Sean sent us a meditation. Actually, a link. clicked on it. And uh, I want us to revisit that. You probably looked at it when the pastor sent it, but it's a great way to draw all this together. So, Take a deep breath. It's okay if you're breathing into a mask so you can let it out. And just watch this. And let your mind zero in on God.
1: Rest. A faint dream for many. Treasured commodity in a fallen world. Think so needed yet so easily interrupted. The garden was a place of rest. No violence in creation, no weed or thorn, no cleft between God and man. Bright sun, pure love, unfettered peace, unstained beauty. Man and God worship and love. But a voice interrupted the rest, strategies of death, words of deceit, actions of rebellion, and expulsion from the garden. Rest interrupted. Rest shattered. Wait for the Lord. His grace strengthens, His presence comforts. His promises assure, His power activates, and His rule guarantees that someday rest, real rest, pure rest, eternal rest, will reign once more. Yes rest to rest will live again and last forever so we wait for the Lord to restore us to that place bright sun pure love unstained beauty until that day with hearts that are strong and hope that is undimmed we wait for the Lord had asked us to finish with this song so do you stand as we finish with it as well with my soul